Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. Hello, Sydney. Morning, Phil. How are you, my friend? I'm all right, thank you. Not too bad. Yeah. Uh, you're back from the uh, Mascot Olympics, which you attended yesterday. It was a <laughs> yeah. tremendous, tremendous event, which received uh, blanket coverage on our social media channels. If you weren't following us, uh, Sid did a sterling job of keeping us up to date with uh, what was going on. <laughs> uh, what was it? What was it like to, uh, to 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 witness the victory of Amunt, the Valencian bat? Yeah, in the, uh, in the mascot Olympics. And at this stage, um, <laughs> I can't quite believe I'm going to say this, but I'm going to. I'm going to big us up, Phil, because we were right in our prediction that Amunt, the Valencian bat, would win. Because it's a bit, you know, it felt a little bit like being at... Have you, have you ever been to the horse racing? Have you ever been and seen, seen horse racing or, or, or um, greyhound racing? Greyhound racing, yeah. Yeah, and uh, greyhound racing is a little bit different, but 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 there's similar sort of things in that really and truly you turn up and you have not got the slightest clue who the best runner is, and of course in the horse racing you get this bit where they they get the kind of the paddock bit where they're walking around the paddock and you get the bit you get that in greyhound racing as well when the owners will walk the dogs around the track and essentially you'll go yeah I like the look of that one, and uh, I far bit from me to be flippant about this but I always <laughs> you go to the greyhound racing go. I'm going for that dog there because it's just done a shit on the track. So it's clearly a, a little bit lighter now than the other dogs. And with the mascots, I'm not suggesting that any of the mascots did a shit on the pitch. Good. <laughs> We've started in, five, in style today, haven't we? Anyway. You in particular, uh, yes. Yeah, um, you basically, you look at them and you think, I like the look of that one. And what I decided is, obviously, the mascots are largely... Uh, men, I assume they're mostly men, although there, there may be it may have been a couple of women in there. I honestly don't know, but judging by the size of them, I would say mostly men uh, inside big costumes, and those costumes are really quite difficult to run in. And so, of course, when you watch the mascots come out at the start, you go, "The advantage is clear, clearly, clearly with those mascots who are running in normal boots, not kind of enormous comedy foam shoes, whose costumes are relatively light and therefore can be run in relatively easily." And when Amunt came out, and you could see that the leg part of Amunt's costume was basically normal and was wearing football boots, and very stylish football boots too, I might say. I thought, Amunt's going to win. And then this, this like fly-like thing came out representing Girona. And again, was wearing kind of like leotard. Uh, not leotard, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, like kind of uh, very tight jogging trousers. And I thought, this, that's a huge advantage. And a little bit of cheating this. In the 100 metres... Amunt took his or her wings off 
to, to reduce Ooh. weight. Now, I think that's a little bit cheeky. And if you saw the... The, the, the Rathing Santander bear, you knew he had no chance. That costume was enormous. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> Just... No chance at all. Anyway, it was one what by about one. Our favorite, what about our favourite cucumber, Super Do you know what? <laughs> I'm not messing. Disappointing. I'm not messing. <laughs> I promise you I'm not making this up. Super Pepino looked knackered after the first run. <laughs> See, hang on. I'm not surprised because last week I actually saw... Saw so the man yeah. who inhabits Super Pepino's costume, and he he did not look like a an athlete. Athlete, no. no, no, no. <laughs> See, there was inside information for you. That was proper insider yes. insider betting. Um, I also suspect. Now, I don't want to cast aspersions upon this, but imagine you build up an event like this, and you bring all of the mascots down to Madrid for a Sunday morning Olympics. I would like to think that the people inside those mascot costumes all went out and really enjoyed themselves on Saturday night. And I, I, I had this sort of image of, of one of the poor mascot, mascot people, not mascot, mascot, feeling a bit sick inside one of those costumes. It's really quite a grim thought. Uh, but it didn't happen as far as we know. As far so, as we know, um, no. So <laughs> Although one of them did say to me, I had a conversation with one of them. One of them did say to me, you know, because obviously you're leaning into her head and talking. You're not really sure what's going on in there. I said, God, it must be suffering in that in there. And 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 he said, uh, you cannot imagine. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, it was actually quite a ple- very pleasantly a warm day. Uh, as it well, was very so, hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not ideal conditions. Uh, so congratulations to Amunt, the Valencian bat. Uh, second place to Dimoni, the Mallorcan devil, and third place was shared by Atletico Madrid and Andorra's uh, respective uh, mascots. The, Andorra's uh, mascot, mascot who really cheated, by the way. There's, a, there's, a, there's an incredible full start in the first run that Andorra's mascot did. And they, they just let it go. And he must have got himself a six or seven yes. metre lead on the others anyway. Yes, not everyone was taking it quite as seriously as you, <laughs> by the sounds of it. But, uh, but yeah, let's, uh, let's move on. Let's move on. We thought we'd start the, uh, the programme talking about the, uh, the mascot Olympics. Uh, uh, we have to uh, start our um, discussion of uh, footballing matters on a, a note that we'd rather not, uh, but we have to talk about injuries because this international break has been uh, really quite bad for uh, La Liga teams with uh, injuries being picked up uh, by some key players for their respective sides. Uh, Vedat Murici for uh, Mallorca, Mikel Oyarzabal for, for Real Sociedad, and perhaps the most high-profile injuries being Vinicius Jr. for Real Madrid, who looks like he's going to be out for about 10 weeks uh, with a, a muscle problem. And Gavi, who last night uh, started Spain's Euro qualifier against Georgia, and had to go off with what looks like a very serious knee injury. It looks like a cruciate ligament injury. It's not yet confirmed at the time of recording, but it looks like he's going to miss quite possibly the rest of the season. This has led to much discussion, as it usually does. One of the bones of contention have been people laying the blame at Spain manager Luis de la Fuente for playing Gavi last night. Um, both you and I are aligned in our feelings, I feel, Sid, that, that this is really quite unfair to blame Luis de la Fuente for this. Now, there'll be many Barcelona fans who are listening to us and really quite angry at Luis de la Fuente for playing, starting Gavi in this game when he played 90 minutes against Cyprus uh, a few days previously. Um, but he's every, he's completely entitled to play yeah. Gavi in a game, which, by the way, was not meaningless for Spain, 
They were playing for first place. Yes, they'd already qualified for the Euros. They had not wrapped up first place. If they'd lost this game and Scotland had won, Spain would have been second, which means you're not seeded for the Euros, which is a relatively big deal. And you can imagine how the press would have reacted. So I think it's a starting point worth underlining. This was not a meaningless yeah. game for Spain. I'm glad you said that because I was going to have to if you hadn't. And, and because it's been very striking seeing people talk about this as meaningless or a dead rubber and, and it wasn't. And as you say, maybe it's only first point place in the group, but that being a seed or not in the Euros can have a very, very significant impact on your chances of getting out the group. Um, and so so it wasn't it wasn't a finished game by any means. It wasn't a dead rubber. Um, I... I'm a little bit I'm I'm a little bit in two minds on on this because I think I I think the thing the way I feel about it really is fundamentally that the the if you like it's not so much that I don't think that Luis de la Fuente can be criticized I think he can or at least I very I think there can be some debate about the way this is managed um and I think as well that the focus on one man individualizes something macro uh, it, it creates a micro um, analysis of something that's a macro problem I think that's much bigger than than that um, and I do think there are some questions to be held against him I think that what what makes me I don't know if defensive is the right word but what makes me defensive I guess of Luis de la Fuente or makes me feel like I want to to, to stand in his corner on this is the ferocity of of the criticism of him because I, I think there is a worthwhile debate here I think there are questions that say well why is Gavi the only one I think of course he's been um he's been bitten by his own words in a way because the day before he says in the pre-game press conference he says Gavi doesn't want to stop Gavi's hyperactive Gavi keeps on going this is what the best players do uh, and and I think as a Barcelona supporter I think you can look at this and you can say oh, hang on he played 90 minutes the other day. Why is he playing again? He's played 990 minutes for Barcelona in La Liga this year, let alone in, in European competition. Why him? Why, why not others? And I, I think up to a point, there's, there, there's a degree of uh, justification in saying that. And there is a degree of saying, well, what about your responsibility towards Gavi? I think there's a number of reasons why that doesn't entirely stand up. And, one of the, and a number of reasons why I would defend Luis Lafuente. One of them, of course, is that this isn't an injury that's been provoked by fatigue. It's not an injury that is about number of minutes played, um, overplaying a player, muscle problems. It's, it's a fortuitous um, moment in which he treads badly, twists his knee and snaps his knee. That can happen to a player who's played 999 minutes and it can happen to a player who's played none. Now, I don't want with that to simply just blow it away as if it doesn't matter. Of course, there is a consideration for players. And actually, I must admit, I looked at it and thought, I'm surprised that, that Gavi's starting, given the weight of players. This is a 19-year-old kid who's played, I think, 111 times for Barcelona, who's played 27 times for Spain already. And the number of minutes he's playing is too many. Um, I think, well, I say it's too many. I mean, there's a little bit of me that's uneasy even saying that because... I'm not a medical expert. I'm not a physiotherapist. I'm not a fitness coach. I, I, I think intuitively we can all look at this and say this is too much. But we don't have, if you like, the medical science to back this argument up. And I, I can't claim to be able to pick my way through that. But obviously there are more minutes for him than anyone else. The reason I would go with you on this is that one of the problems I find when we have these kind of discussions is that everybody wants it to be someone else's responsibility to protect the players. So you get this situation, don't you, where you say, well, it's a disgrace that he's playing for the national team. Well, OK, so what? So the clubs can play as much as they want, but the national team can't, or vice versa, by the way. Um, and this doesn't 
speak directly to Gabby's injury, and I'm not going to be so stupid as to claim that it does. But for example, what happens when clubs have some time off? Let's say for argument's sake, you say, well, let's protect the players. Let's have some time off. What happens? Clubs tend to arrange friendlies, as Barcelona have done. Um, and and, and there's one, the one thing I suppose that stands in the club's defence in this whole debate is that they are the ones that pay the players. But I must admit, I, and this is maybe a socio-political position from my point of view, I'm a little bit uneasy about the sort of the, the, sort of the simplicity of saying, well, we pay, therefore we choose. That seems to me, a, a, I don't know, a, I'm just a bit uneasy with that argument. It seems a bit kind of crass to me. On the 20th of December, Barcelona play their last league game of 2023. They're at home to Almeria in Montjuic. 24 hours later, they are playing Club America, the Mexican Giants, in Dallas on the 21st of December. That doesn't exactly scream play. No. And, and, um, and again, you know, let me stress, this, this, this isn't to say that that is responsible for Gavi's injury. That would be absurd because, of course, that is in the future. Gavi's injury didn't happen in the future. But what, what? But I think the point we're making here is that there. I think we probably all agree, don't we, that there's too many games. I think we probably all agree that there is concern about the strains being put on players, about the intensity of football, um, about the, the 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 kind of demands made on on players' bodies. And in the case of Gavi, we're talking about a 19-year-old. And again, I don't have the physiology reports nor the expertise to be able to to judge this. But when you when you talk about these demands, you say, well. Everyone always says, we need to sit down and sort this out and we all need to talk about it. But the problem is, of course, I think far too often everybody says, well, it's you that's playing in too much. It's never me that's playing in too much. Mm. And that is across the board. And as you say, let's go to Luis de la Fuente because it's how you, how you open this. <coughs> Within the context, excuse me, of the way that the fixture list is, does de la Fuente have an individual responsibility towards Gavi? Yes, as he does to all of his players. But he doesn't create this overload of, of games. He is not playing in a dead rubber. He does have a responsibility to win for Spain. And of course, I'm sure, as, as the conversation pre-game, which actually has come back to bite De La Fuente a little bit and, and made him look even worse, actually what he says is, is sort of okay. And that what, what he's saying really is that I've spoken to Gavi. Gavi keeps playing. We've looked at him. He's not physically at any more risk. I mean, he hasn't used these exact words I'm using now, but the, the thrust of what he's saying is this. At any more risk than anybody else. Would I have started him? Possibly not, but I understand why you do. Because as you've said, and let's go back to that starting point, because this seems to have been forgotten by everyone, this was not a dead rubber. This wasn't an irrelevant game. Much as it can feel like it to Barcelona fans, and I absolutely understand that, I do. This wasn't an irrelevant game, and also a national coach only has his players for a small amount every year. He's not working with these players week in, week out. It is only natural that you want the players to to get minutes within a structure within a team with certain new teammates that they're not used to um to sort of build a um an idea and an identity and you do that by playing together so i, I completely understand why why yeah, he would want to yeah. play um the question yeah, there's is there's another thing Phil in, in all of this sorry Rude, which is that i just I, I i sometimes feel like and again i i do understand this from a um what's the word i suppose from the point of view of an asset and a point of view of the finances. And I understand that, although, as I say, that makes me feel a little queasy, That just that kind of whole idea that I pay, therefore I decide. And actually, up to a point, I can see the justification in it. I'm just not sure I like it on a kind of ideological level. But anyway, that's, I suppose, a broader debate. Um, but it just feels to me that it's so easy to point the finger at the national teams all the time. Mm. The very existence of the phrase FIFA virus, I must admit, gets on my nerves. Mm. 
because we we act like we act like players only ever get injured when they go to national teams. Now there is a there is a potential for this, and I'd actually love to know what a fitness coach thinks about this or what a physiologist thinks about this. I wonder if there is a greater potential for injury with the national teams because you're changing the routines of training, because you're changing the dynamics of the way that a player works physically, because you're adding travel to it. Now, maybe less so with European players, maybe more so with those who play for South American teams because, of course, they're travelling transatlantic and maybe that makes a difference, the jet lag and all those kind of elements that that kind of play into it. Because, you know, and I'm making a, a slightly arrogant European assumption here, but the majority of elite players are playing in Europe. So, so that's why I make that point. But I, I just sometimes feel like, is, are we not in a position where we, we're kind of blaming the national teams all the time because it's a bit easy? And I, and I think it's a little unfair. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So this seems like a problem which doesn't seem to have any solution because we know and FIFA knows and the club knows that more matches equal more money. So we've already extended the uh, European Championships. It's going to be an expanded World Cup. The Champions League is going to be expanded. The Club World Cup is going to be expanded as well. Everyone's expanding. Everybody is expanding. Okay. So then you think about the players and their welfare and... Is a player going to say, oh, no, I don't want to go and play for my national team because I need to keep myself fit for my club? No, 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 no one's going to say that. Very, very few. Tony Cross has said that. I mean, in terms of elite yeah. players, having already won the World Cup with Germany, the players themselves yeah. aren't saying that because for them, going and playing with their countries is the biggest and best thing, quite possibly. But then you've got players coming out and saying, well, you know, we can't continue. This can't keep going. You've got fans coming out and saying, no, this is is outrageous. But those same fans still want their teams to sign the best players and get money to sign the best players. And they get money by doing lucrative money-speeding tours uh, (laughs) across the summer or even organising a um, a mid-season friendly for money. So it feels like what you were saying. Nobody's really prepared to take responsibility of this. Everybody seems to be complaining about it. But so what's the... What's the what's the solution? Because nobody well, seems to be proposing an actual solution that they are willing to 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 to, to implement. 
Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because the expansion of games is, is, is everybody. And so, for example, I think what you're seeing today is, is from some quarters. And, and forgive me, by the way, because I am probably showing my own bias here. I think regular listeners to us will know that I'm opposed to the idea of the Super League because, for a whole number of reasons. Um, there are some elements of the Super League, by the way, which I can, which I can accept, but I'm opposed to, to other elements of it. But, and, and so this may well be revealing my bias, or at least my sensitivity to this particular argument anyway. You're seeing a lot of people today essentially saying, see, this is why the Super League's necessary because we need to take the power away from UEFA from FIFA. Now, I thought it's worth, by the way, I can actually see an argument that says, let's take some of the power away from FIFA and UEFA. Let's give the clubs a little bit more power, except, of course, that the part of the problems that the Super League and, and certainly part of the problems that UEFA has had has been actually trying to pander to the increasing power of the biggest clubs. You know, the, the issue in, with, with UEFA isn't so much UEFA as UEFA, the pressure from those bigger clubs who now want to break away. Um, and, and it seems to me that that's a sort of a rather simplistic one because... Essentially, what the, what the Super League would be saying was, well, we'll increase our games and therefore you have to decrease yours. <laughs> and so, it's, it, it's, again, it's not saying, right, let's sit down, let's work this out. Let, because I just sort of think that's a myth. Now, I, I admit the problem with me saying this is that it sounds like I'm saying, well, let's not even try and find a solution then because no one's going to bother. And there is a risk of me effectively saying, well, forget it because no one's going to do it. But I, that's the problem is I think no one's going to. I actually tweeted this on, um, I think it was Saturday. It was a column in ass from Jorge Maroto, um, and and I know yeah. Jorge very well. And and he made the, he made the point. And it was the last line, and I actually tweeted a, a, a photograph of the last line and said, "This actually makes me feel a bit queasy." And essentially, the last line was it said, "If the Super League wins this court case, there will be an immediate reduction of international games." And I thought to myself, "So what you're saying is the second you get power, the first thing is right, right, you stop playing. Never mind, we'll think about it. No, you stop playing." And by the way, I'm not sure they'd be able to. That's another issue, by the way. But anyway, you stop playing. And as you say, this, this idea, let, let's go back to what you were saying about the idea of players saying, okay, I've got to play less to protect myself because this is too many games. And, the, and you've said, not many players are going to say, I want to play less for the national team. And this is part of the point, which is that right now, a player only really has the choice, if he wants to reduce his games, of saying, I'll stop the national team. No player has the chance to say, you know what? League Cup, I'm not going to play in it. FA Cup, I'm not going to play in it. I'm only going to play in the league from now on. Because, of course, you've got a club. Now, again, that's because that's who's paying you. That's where the money is. That's, and, and I understand all of those arguments. Although I think it's a myth to suggest there isn't a contribution to a player's earnings or even to a club's status from international football. The World Cup generates an interest, which then generates players, which then generates a, a sense of clubs buying that player. Look at Real Madrid's Galactico project. Um, why did they buy James? Because of, the, because of a World Cup. Why was Brazilian Ronaldo the biggest thing ever? Because of a World Cup. Um, you know, why is Zidane everything that he is? Not just because of what he did at Real Madrid. In fact, I would say less um, about that than about what he did with France, although that's obviously a broad debate that we could have. And so I think this idea that it's, that it's purely one-sided in terms of who is contributing and who is taking, and this is the club's arguments, and I do understand this club argument that says, we contribute and you just take. I don't think that's entirely true. Um, and I think that's part of the problem is that everybody wants everyone else to take responsibility, but, but not to do it for themselves. And, and I, I don't actually know where the solution lies in this, because I, I, for what it's worth, I don't trust any of the people at management <laughs> level in football to do this. There's also another part of this, and I, it's, a, it's a slight segue, but, but allow me to pick up on it. There's this idea somehow that we've got to keep generating more and more and more. And this is, a, this is kind of, I suppose, a, 
a political, social and economic idea generally, this idea of constant growth. Uh, growth. Constant growth is in itself problematic and also a little bit of a myth. This idea we've got to grow more because the players are earning more, so we've got to have more and so the players earn more. This, I, this is kind of a curious idea, isn't there, that if we didn't grow more, then this, this, this would collapse. Why would it collapse? Explain this to me. Explain to me why this would collapse. Now, it might change the balance of power. And, of course, part of the problem is that you've got a huge amount of investment that other clubs are trying to catch up with. And that's a much, much broader debate. Why would it collapse? So, well, but if the, we didn't earn this money, the players would go. Where would they go? Are you telling me that instead of making, I don't know what he makes, right? Um, Bellingham. Instead of making 10 million euros a year, are you telling me that if there was a sudden recession in football, and players like Bellingham at the elite level, now lower level players is a much, much more difficult question to deal with. But let's, because we're talking about the elite level, because you've got people like those involved in the Super League, Florentino Perez in particular, talking about saving football and this, is, this can't work and we need to make more money because this can't work. And, there's a, and you sort of say, well, making money for who and for what? Because if it's mm. about the players' wages, let's say, for, right, so let's go to this argument, this example I was going to come up with. Bellingham, let's say, for argument's sake, makes 10 million euros a year, yeah? Imagine there's a huge recession and all of a sudden Real Madrid say, listen, you're only going to make 1.5 million euros a year. At that point, do you think Bellingham and all elite footballers go, I'm not going to play anymore, I'm going to go and be a hairdresser instead? Uh, No, but they might say I'm going to Saudi Arabia. Well, this is the thing. So it's about the the comparisons within it. Exactly that. Um, and, And yeah, maybe. Maybe. And that's, that's where we have an issue. And, and that's where, because it's this idea that, that, that sort of somehow football itself would die. Well, football in certain places would. But then you come to this Saudi idea. Do you not think at some point that the promoters of, uh, for example, the promoters of the Super League, and again, apologies, because it probably sounds like my own particular predilections are coming through him, and maybe they are, that the promoters of the Super League, do we think they're going to ignore Saudi Arabian money? No. There you go. Indeed. All right, listen, we're going to um, uh, leave it there for the time being on the podcast, but send us your thoughts on our Discord. Um, You can tweet us as well. Tell us what you think uh, about this. Uh, If you are a patron, you have access to our Discord, as well as numerous other things, not least the Q&A podcast. We do every Tuesday, a bonus podcast every Thursday and Friday as well. Some patrons have access to our uh, monthly Zoom calls as well. We've got one of those coming up shortly as well. So if you want to get involved... You want more Spanish football content? It's uh, four euros a month, around about that. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Uh, get involved uh, there. I guess staying with um, the concept of, of injuries, but in a more actually pragmatic uh, light rather than conceptual. Vinicius picking up this hamstring injury uh, with Brazil in their defeat to Colombia uh, means that Real Madrid's injury list is mm. really quite staggering. So. He's out. Camavinga got injured in this international break as well because Usman Dembele fell on him in training. Uh, they are added to the names of Courtois, Kepa, Militao, Chouameni, Ceballos, Guler, and Jude Bellingham with a shoulder problem as well. They're all out. This is this is quite an extraordinary um, injury list for for Real Madrid. Yeah, I, I mean, and just just kind of a brief a brief entry point to this as well. Um, I, I feel a little bit, <laughs> I feel a little bit bad that it feels like we've done the sort of the Spanish radio thing of of go on on the debate part first, and there is a very basic thing which I suppose we probably didn't mention as as well as we should, which is, or as as deeply as we should there, which is applicable to Vinicius as well. It's just very sad, 
Uh, it's very sad that a player is out for that long. It's very sad the impact that has. And for him and for someone like Gavi, a 19-year-old who I think is a, a wonderful footballer and Vinicius who's an absolutely wonderful footballer and to, to not have the chance to watch them play. But for them, more than anything else, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's horrendous. And, and obviously, look, the bigger injuries in Madrid's case, as you say, the long-term ones are the Militao and, and, and Courtois. If you look at the impact, um, I think Gavi will have a huge impact on Barcelona, by the way, a huge impact. And as you say, the Madrid injury list is, is, is very, very big. I wonder how they'll, how they'll manage this. Now, obviously, some of those injuries are, are longer term than others. So I, I think, for example, that, that Bellingham may even only miss one more game. Uh, I think it's, it's perfectly plausible. that. In fact, it's, I think it's half plausible that he plays this first Madrid game of the weekend. But, but I think he okay. may only miss one. Um, as you said, I think that we'll, we'll probably see Kepa back relatively quickly. Um, but it's, 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 a real, it's a real issue. I suppose this is one of the arguments for a big squad. And Madrid do have very, very good players. But this is a huge, huge hole taken out of their team. And, and you, you think about the structuring of that side... And it, it's actually difficult to see who plays those because no one really plays like Vinicius. Not even Rodrigo, who's possibly the nearest thing they've got. Um, mm. No one really plays like Bellingham. Uh, maybe is the nearest thing they've got Brahim. Certainly, positionally, maybe it's Brahim at the moment. Although it's, he's not really quite the same kind of player. I don't think anyone plays with the combination of of qualities that Camavinga has. There isn't a natural deep line midfielder apart from Shoemeni, albeit Camavinga was playing there. But of course, he's now not available, so it will presumably be Tony Cruz. It's it, it's um, it's going to be very very interesting, and I, I realise that's quite a weak thing to say. It's going to be interesting, but it is going to be interesting to see how Ancelotti restructures the side to try and fill these gaps. Uh, they're away at Cadiz uh, on on yeah. Sunday, so let's see how they uh, how they get on there. Uh, congratulations to Barca Femini who beat Real Madrid five nil in the Clasico yesterday. Thirty eight thousand seven hundred and seven fans were there at Montjuic. Uh, Caroline Graham Hansen was the star. For a Barca, it equaled their biggest win yet in the fixture. Uh, was a uh, was a big game, obviously. Uh, Barcelona came into it just uh, three points ahead of Real Madrid, but they're now uh, further clear after that big, big victory in the um, in the Clasico Montjuic. I was looking at some photos some of our listeners had sent to us, and they were sitting behind one of the goals. <laughs> and the view was pretty rubbish, had to be said. It is not. It's not an amazing stadium to watch your football in I have to I have to confess obviously I was there the only time I've been there was in the the press area and it was uh, it was not bad the view there at all but if you're behind one of the goals and particularly low down it's uh, really quite poor so um, yeah I'm, I'm actually beware. a little bit I'm actually a little bit surprised that that nobody came up with a solution that Almeria have done and Mallorca have done uh, because you don't even need to do it permanently, which is to have temporary mm. stands on the running track behind the goals so that you can bring them mm. closer to the pitch. Mm. And you effectively leave the the big curve behind the goals empty. And it's partly mm. empty anyway, because obviously they've tarpaulined the first, I don't know how many rows, because if you were right at the bottom, you genuinely can't see anything at all. Um, mm. in, in terms of the game, by the way, I think it was a, a, a demonstration again that although Madrid are getting closer, Barcelona are just on a different level. But then, of course, they're on a different level to just about everybody. At the moment, 
Uh, in the Segunda División, there was a massive victory for the mighty Real Oviedo, who beat Abar 2-1 with an 89th-minute penalty. Uh, it was particularly nice that Oviedo won uh, this weekend because it was a special international fans weekend, wasn't it, Sid? And I know it some was. of our uh, listeners who uh, were uh, sort of emotionally blackmailed into buying uh, shares from you <laughs> about, uh, about 11 years ago. Uh, and they're still uh, holding on to uh, that piece of paper and they feel like they're part of the club, which is something beautiful and special that has been created. And Every year they do this. They do this international fans weekend, don't they? Yeah, and so they had um, trips to see the training ground around the club museum to meet some of the players. Obviously, at the ground itself for the for the game. It's it's really. I think it's really important as well. And I've I've said this both publicly, but I've also insisted on it privately with the with with, with people at the club that it's not enough to say, thanks very much, you bought the shares. I think you really mm. want people to feel... I mean, they don't have to, obviously. We want people to feel that if they would like to, they can be participants in the club. They can genuinely be fans. They can go there, that they feel that sense of gratitude. And I'm glad that they got a victory as well against a really good side, Eibard. And Oviedo were actually very, very good indeed in the second half. Very good in the second half. Uh, elsewhere in the Segunda, Valladolid and Leganés drew in the uh, big game at the top. Espanyol beat Elche 2-0. So, Leganés are top on 35 points. Then Sporting and Valladolid are on 29 points. So, a bit of a gap there. Espanyol are on 28. Eibar and Racing Ferrol complete the uh, playoff places. The mighty Oviedo up to 11th. Which is, uh, which is terrific to see. Um, that's it for today's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. Thanks very much for joining us, amigos. If you want us for the rest of the week, we're going to be over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP producing loads more content for our patrons. So why not come and join us? Or maybe you can give the gift of TSFP to the Spanish football fan in your life this holiday season. Just occurred to me now, but that might not be a bad idea. That's uh, a great idea. Got... I hadn't thought of that. That's I hadn't either. But, you know, if we were an American podcast, Sid, God. We would be a lot more, um, a lot more on the commercial aspect, shall we say? But we're not, and we're uh, we're just muddling through. But yeah, you get ten percent off if you if you subscribe annually. So maybe that could be an option if you're looking for an alternative Christmas gift uh, this year. Uh, thanks very much for joining us, amigos, and we'll speak soon. Adios. Cheerio. Network.